Hello and welcome to Business Without My name's Dominic Frisby and Ori Clark is perhaps the only one in the UK or one of the very few firms which is both a legal and an accountancy firm. And it's one of its partners is Andy Ori. And Andy believes the firm has so many interesting clients doing this incredible array of interesting things. And he, he wanted to find a way to share all these interesting things. And that way is this podcast. So Andy, hello, who have we got on the show today? Hello, Dominic. How are you doing? Um... I'm fine. <laughs> and I should say to listeners, we have a, a special guest in the room today in the form of my dog, Frodo. So if uh, during the recording of this, you hear some panting going on in, in the background, it is the dog and nothing else. <laughs> Hello, Frodo. Uh, and uh, today we have Anne Fairpo, who is a tax barrister uh, and advises uh, numerous uh, individuals and companies, I guess, on international tax. She's uh, also a public speaker and um yeah we're very honored to have her with us today hello Anne. hello thank you very much both of you and frodo <laughs> <laughs> frodo played no part in getting you on the show <laughs> and Anne, so i mean tax is one of my i've just written a book about tax the past present and future of taxation and so it's one of my big subjects so i'm i'm really looking forward to today's interview and i suppose I mean, let's just start with what you're just doing at the moment before we get onto the subject of international tax, because it's it's fascinating what's going on with international tax. So mm. we'll come to that in a second. Indeed. Um, I mean, like all barristers, frankly, what I do is whatever pays the mortgage that I'm qualified to do is probably the one way of putting it. Um, a lot of my work is around intellectual property, in fact, and that's inevitably what I'll be doing at any given point in time. So not advising on IP directly, but on the tax issues relating to technology businesses in general. So a certain amount of work on things like research and development tax credits, patent box, um, what should we do with our IP um, is what quite a lot of it boils down to. Um, transactional work, um, varied, very varied. A lot of it is cross-border, though, simply because the nature of IP um, is such that it's fairly mobile and people do tend to use what they've got wherever they can. Well, this is one of the big problems that international governments have. And it's sort of, I suppose you could say, perhaps it started with the internet, which is effectively a borderless medium. And we've got all these wonderful international companies in this globalised world, the likes of Amazon and Starbucks and Google, and they're all operating in what you might call the intangible economy. And governments have really, really struggled to find ways to tax this intangible economy. And one of the great loopholes in this intangible economy is that a company, and the obvious example is Starbucks, which you would think is not operating in the intangible economy. It is selling coffees in the physical economy on a day-to-day -day basis. But most of Starbucks' outlets are have very little profit. So even though Starbucks, the company, is very profitable according to its share price and uh, its individual outlets aren't, and the reason its individual outlets aren't is they're all paying vast amounts to use Starbucks IP, the great brand that is Starbucks, which is operated in, I don't even know where, maybe Holland or somewhere like that. So are you the person that is, ad, ad, and, and so the tax becomes payable in the low tax offshore jurisdiction where... Um, and, and, and Starbucks benefits because it, it doesn't pay much on the ground. It pays its tax elsewhere. And 
what Starbucks has done is completely legal. It's played by the rules, but it is left. Governments haven't quite worked out what to do with it. Uh, talk about what I've just described there. And is, 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 is that a familiar story? Okay. First off, Starbucks is not one of my clients. I'll say that before anyone <laughs> does. Uh, secondly, it's, it's the bet noir um, though, isn't it? It's, well, it's one of the, I think it's the, the, the household names are always first in the firing line, inevitably because they sell newspapers when they talk about it. Interestingly, um, I think uh, some of the um, things that were challenged uh, for Starbucks by the European Commission, um, the court actually disagreed with the Commission as to their implications. Uh, I'd also point out that the Netherlands has a higher corporate tax rate than the UK does, so possibly moving profits to the Netherlands. Is Starbucks <laughs> IP in the in the Netherlands? Uh, Starbucks IP, I suspect, is probably in ultimately Ireland. owns um, somewhere that probably should be heading back towards the United States. This is one of the interesting things about the royalties point, um, this idea of you know, paying for trademarks and the use of trademarks, and this whole Starbucks doesn't pay because, although actually if you look at Starbucks accounts, quite a lot of the reason why they don't make very much money is they appear to be paying quite a lot in real estate um, costs. And it's interesting how many of them have closed over the last few months, uh, at least in central London anyway. I used to have a choice of about five within five minutes of chambers. Um, I'm now reduced Down to one. You to poor one. Thing. Oh, I know. Dear. Shocking, isn't it? <laughs> but it was like that. At Starbucks, you were like, they can't yeah. open another one here. There's one over there. Yeah. You know, it's like, what but do I do now? I'm confused at yes. the crossing. You know? so, I think the reason for that is that a lot of the independent coffee shops that are springing up are just better. Uh, but there's that, and uh, there's also the question of. Uh, certainly, and whether this was Starbucks business model, I don't know, but it's certainly a business model for well-funded businesses is to just open as many things as they can so that they get people tied in. And then as you gradually reduce branches or whatever, um, people will still go because that's the name they know oh, okay. and that kind of thing. But whether that's what they're doing, so building up I couldn't really say. But to bring it back to the royalties, the thing is, um, yes, we, you know, it, <sighs> There is undoubtedly a benefit to Starbucks of the Starbucks trademark and Starbucks logo and name, because it's something that people recognise from having seen it in television series and films. You know, when they first opened in the UK, which a favourite I think 20. And I think it was somewhere in South London or something in the kind of I remember them Kensington opening area. and it being a thing. Well, and coffee it. was bad in London and it was like, yeah. oh, this place is better, apparently. But it wasn't just this place is better, but there was a, this is the thing we have seen in XYZ television series, mm. XYZ films. It had a brand recognition before they opened in the UK, which came about because there were people in presumably the US, but I say, who knows, um, who were spending money and spending time and Austin value. Powers. <laughs> building up building up the brand. Building the brand. It was in so, the Austin Powers movie. He yeah. built a thing on his on his Well, exactly. All of that means people know the name. And so there is a profit driver that has to do with activity that was not undertaken in the UK. Mm -hmm. And the rules of tax, international rules of tax, as they sit and stand or lie, depending on your personal viewpoint, horizontal might be the best way of putting it, a little bit like Frodo over there, in fact. Um, but <laughs> the point is that, that that is profit and value that is generated not by the physical presence in the UK, but by activities somewhere completely different. And as international tax rules go, at least as they are at the moment, that should be, you know, the, the view is that a chunk of the profits should go to that place that developed that value. And so the point about, oh, well, Starbucks are paying royalties to XYZ low tax jurisdiction, whether or not they were, there's a question that arises of, well, 
if they weren't paying them there, they'd be paying them somewhere else because actually those have to do with activities that were somewhere mm. else. And actually, if of examples that I can think of, Starbucks is the one that, you know, people really do go to Starbucks, not for the coffee, they go because it's Starbucks. And I remember watching this uh, graph about it's predictability versus quality. And actually humans prefer predictability than quality. So we won't take a risk that if it might be better, if we know we can get X, it's the McDonald's, yeah. it's the, I'd rather just get what I want. And Starbucks was a huge player in that 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 sort of I mean I remember it being almost the subject of sort of example so I I had sympathy too when I watched this you know and they uh, there was a very amusing clip I remember when they the one of the head inquisitions of the British person go hang on hang on hang on I go to your place every day it's three pounds for a venti you know the cost of ingredients must be 12p you know you're telling me you're not making money but actually I think it is a great example of saying this brand is so powerful and it fits in the predictability thing that people whether they're signing up to it because they saw it in a film and it's been associated with it they they know what they're going to get and they've already pre-ordered when they walk in the door you know it's a sort of so actually I, I, I think someone like Starbucks you, you would be negligent as an international tax advisor not probably to say to them, look, we should think about this, you know. Do you think, I mean, this is on the topic of, um, and this is something that my friends and people get very frustrated sometimes with, is that it's an international competition between countries. Every country has a complex tax system and there are pluses and minuses about how it operates. There are some countries like the UK, Ireland, Singapore, Hong Kong that are position themselves to be sort of neither a, a, a dodgy offshore territory, but also low tax and things. But the, each country's come up with its sort of, you know, competition to do it. And and that is that is where we are. I think what everyone sort of wants, or or the public would probably want, is they they want an international tax system. I think they want some sort of let's all get together and make this terribly fair. And to your point, where you create value, or where you have activity, or where you have assets, you know, um, the, these things we're going to tax. And I mean, and, and and on a simple level, you know, if you want to work out how much you should tax something, if you're a tax advisor, you're looking at how much risk is being taken by that company financially, what assets does it have and what activity it has. And you could, you could, you know, have an international agreement to do it. Because I think this is very needed on a personal tax billionaire's basis. On a company basis, I don't know, it's a much more complicated question. Do you think, do you think we, you know, it's moving in that direction or moving opposite direction maybe? Um, there's certainly over the last few years been a lot more international cooperation in designing rules. We had the OECD base erosion profit shifting um, project, uh, which uh, produced a framework in 2015, which was a number of countries getting together to effectively say, hang on a minute, there's a problem here. A lot of which had to do with intercompany pricing across borders and sort of mismatches and unclear solutions to particular problems mm. caused by things like digital economy, intangible economy, etc. And so that started or developed, perhaps didn't really start, developed um, more cooperation between countries and even non-OECD members have actually signed up to the principles. I'm not confused um, whether we, we've signed up to the principles yes, or not. We, we have, have yeah, okay. implemented quite a few of them already, okay, most great. of them. Um, and now the OECD is also heading in the direction of what seems to be being described as BEPS 2.0, which is the digital economy problem, this issue that um, 
less so with Starbucks, but more with the the actually intangible businesses that we increasingly use, uh, that international tax rules are just not designed to deal with them. They're not designed to deal with a business that can establish itself in one single place and still reach pretty much everybody on the planet. Mm. Yeah, They're designed around borders. Mm. They're designed around the physical economy. Yeah. And we're talking about... Mm to a borderless digital world. Mm. So Although, they're from a different age, the tax well, laws. they are, to some extent, but technology has always done this. Um, there's a case which uh, is about how you deal with the tax issues in um, a complex structure that takes place cross-border using a new technology. And the case is called Ericsson and Last. It dates to 1881. The technology was the telegraph. And it was all about, you know, if you've got a message originating in London going through Denmark to Russia, I think it was something to that effect. It was, you know, who gets to tax what? You know, there's a degree of deja vu very much in Was that in in the times when messages... Because cost a lot of money. Stamp, you had stamp taxes on messaging, didn't you? It wasn't so much that; it was actually the profits from the telegraphing contract and where. Where those, is it occurring? Yeah, okay. where, the same where thing was we the have con- now? Yeah. Where is the nice. server? Yeah, and where's the contract being made and things like that? And and if you make a contract by telegraph, where is it made? And all those sorts of questions that were being looked at at that point in time. But most of the time, those contracts, regardless of where they were or were not being made, tended to be related to physical goods because people just couldn't move around. And so delivery of services across border was much harder to do. Mm. And that, I think, is the thing that the internet's changed. It's communication medium. And so it does mean you can deliver services without ever actually leaving your front room if you don't want to. Mm. Um, okay, as a small business, yes, some of the larger businesses need a very large front room to do this with. But ultimately... And you can deliver the service in yeah. another country without your company leaving its own exactly. jurisdiction. I mean, the- if you think about, say, selling advertising services um, using data you have gathered from people using other services that you provide for free, mentioning no names, but, you know, um, you can do all of that in one place. Yeah. Your customers... Web design. Buy their own... Well, customers Graphic buy design. their own advertising. Well, there's that for the individuals, but for advertising, your customers do it as a self-service thing. They, they decide what they want. They order it online. It's all delivered by algorithms done by computers. Um, at the point where we get satellite technology fast enough, you could probably dump the whole thing on servers in space. And at the moment, space is tax-free. It's an in, it's Write an, that down, folks. Yeah. <laughs> it's a non-jurisdiction. Well, it's, it's, a, it's quite expensive to do business in space. <laughs> <laughs> Who introduced and, taxation at source? There's today's quiz question. Who introduced oh. taxation at source? Which country? I, no, which um, prime minister? There's a clue as to the country. <laughs> I don't know. One of the old school ones. Henry Addington. Oh, nice. oh very, that's yes. very old. In the ah, Napoleonic yes, Wars. You're right. Because Pitt's, Pitt's income tax, Pitt introduced income tax and it mm. failed. It redu- it it, it um, brought in like less than half of what he was hoping it would bring in. Mm. And he moaned about these shameful tax evaders. <laughs> and then Henry Addington introduced income tax at half of Pitt's rate, but with taxation at source mm, and, yeah, mm. and brought in double the revenue that Pitt's income Don't tax let them see in. what they could have had. <laughs> I, I mean, it's as simple as that, isn't yeah. it? But in a weird yeah. way by us not doing tax returns right, you're right, we're not exposed to it. Like and, a lot yeah. of my dear friends who are musicians, they all do tax returns. They haven't mm. got any tax to pay because they're all struggling. Yeah. 
I mean, one, he's never breached the threshold. And every year he rings me up and he's so stressed out about it. And I keep saying to me, <laughs> honestly, HMRC have better things to do. Please don't worry about it. Just send the numbers in. But yeah. they at least have quite an intricate understanding of tax, yes. these individuals. They have an you know. idea of what they can and can't deduct and so on. And, yeah. and, and that's the problem. But they're self-employed and so they actually have deductions. Yes. And that's the problem is that for a lot of people, they're employed. And so it's virtually nothing you can deduct. Um, yes, if you there are In certain theory. things around certain types of business mileage and Working odds and ends home, of things that you can still deduct, even if your employer hasn't, and you know, well, especially if your employer hasn't reimbursed you for it. Um, but uh, but that's the problem is that for many people, for a vast majority of individuals in the UK, they don't engage day to day with tax because they don't have to. We have an extremely efficient PAYE system mm. that deducts tax at source and most mostly people don't have to do a tax return. gets it right. And so mm. mostly people don't have to do a tax return. Um, we used to deduct income tax at source on interest. We've now just given an allowance for that, which effectively changes, you know, means that most people, <laughs> you have to be doing pretty well to earn interest of more than £1,000 a year. Mm. Um, it, or you know, getting some decent investments going, savings going somewhere, etc. Uh, but you know, it's from that perspective, it means the vast majority of people don't have to deal with the tax system at all. This is going to change. The, what, what you've described there is going to change because the nature of employment is changing, mm. and so more and more people. Because at the moment, fifty percent of government revenue worldwide is your stat for the day comes from income taxes in its various forms. I, I would include, for example, national insurance mm. as a form of income tax. Um, and that's 50% of government revenue. And it's because that relationship between employer and employee, that fixed relationship is easy to tax. But the nature of employment is changing. More and more of us are becoming freelancers, the rise of the gig economy, mm. people having multiple workers. income streams. Mm. Um, you know, everyone is their own little business. Uh, contingent workers is the phrase that gets used in America mm. a lot. Um, and Ernst and Young have forecast that by 2030, so any 11 years away, half of the world's workforce will be freelance. Mm. And that's an incredible number. Now, that's going to have a huge impact on mm. taxes and government finances. There was a big thing called the Taylor Report a couple of years ago yep. on, on the gig economy. And I think the average... If, if two workers are doing pretty much the same job and one's in the gig economy and one's in full-time employment, the figure was the guy in the gig economy pays something like three to 4,000 less in tax per year Depends than the guy. Earning, full but I can, I can uh, yeah, no, it. and it, that's variable. I think the average figure was three to 4,000 less. But that's in it's national, a big impact primarily on, in national insurance. Probably. Yeah. And they, yeah. they know... They know um, this question has been worked on because it's been the, that dialogue of the gig economy has been going on for years and the lawyers in the firm have had a lot to say about it and us and the tax have been going, look, well, this is all very well, but we've really only got two methods. So, you know, mm. pick one. But someone reminded me there is one other that's like... Um, what are the, Sorry, what are the two methods? Well, the two methods are you're an employee, uh, taxes oh, yeah. you own, yeah. or you're self-employed and you do a tax return. Yeah, in employment so, law, there's also the concept of the worker. The worker in employment law. But in... no, and that's what they're now going to develop a tax system for, I think, is what's going on. I think HMRC's... I think the response from government, not HMRC, sorry, it would be Treasury, I think the general response was that, that, that what they were going to do was to try and effectively work out 
where the dividing line still was between employment and self-employment. I don't think... Oh, they were still going to try and define where the line was. Yeah, I think I don't think there's a proposal to actually try and come up with a workers' tax yes. somewhere in the middle. Um, because actually that would still just exacerbate the problem. Mm. HMRC statistics say that 42% of adults in the UK do not in fact pay any tax at all. Wow. 42%? Yeah, and quite a lot of those will not be in work. God, you should have made us guess that. <laughs> Sorry. Um, it's 42% of adults. I don't know what proportion of those are not in work and therefore not paying tax. I mean, I imagine a few um, have retired. And, uh, yes. We've got and, the under 20s. But, of course, the retired, if, they're earning, if they've got a reasonable pension, they're paying tax on the pension. Sure. The pension okay. isn't tax-free. But it's basically people earning less than the, the personal allowance is the other aspect to it. So you've got this sort of combination of one... HMRC actually makes it fairly easy for people. And HMRC does, in fact, actually have quite a good record compared to other jurisdictions for the amount of tax that comes in without any effort on their part. Mm. Surprisingly compliant. You know, you, some, if you look at some of the headlines, you'd think the UK was sort of you know lawless as it came mm. to tax. Yes. HMRC often doesn't operate by the same legal standards that the rest of the uh, economy does. And often in the case of HMRC, you are guilty until proven innocent, for example. And the a clue as in why there's so little, um, what's the word, reform within HMRC, why it's sort of so out of control, is that it goes all the way back to the English Civil War and then the Glorious Revolution. And the clue is in Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs. Taxes are, in fact, the property of the Crown. And you're going to correct me on this, Anne, I'm sure, but HMRC is not actually accountable to anyone in government. It's actually accountable to the Crown. And only politicians, however, or government, may say how those taxes are spent. And there should be, and this is an old historical anomaly, you know, a government minister to whom HMRC is directly accountable, a minister for HMRC. And it's sort of the deputy secretary to the treasury in practice, although, you know, if you mm. if the law is totally distilled, it's actually accountable to the crown. And this hmm. is one of the reasons why it's become so sort She's of got nice out of control. Mm, well, I can see, I can see lots of cynical expressions passing across your face. No, as not merely cynical expressions. It's actually um, at this point. I, I'm at the moment trying to remember um, some of the constitutional stuff that I read some time back. Um, that there is a, it's it's not quite the separation of church and state. Um, but one of the reasons why HMRC is is standalone is because its job is solely to collect and not to set tax policy. And so yeah. it's deliberately kept separate from the mm -hmm. rest of government, um, which it's still accountable under things like National Audit Office and, and so yeah. on. So it's, it's not that it... There isn't an accountability for it. But the ultimate, but it's I think the ultimate authority like, is the Crown, not Parliament, yeah, in well, the case of HMRC. Because I think it's supposed to be basically a, a branch of the civil service as opposed to a branch of government. Mm -hmm. To the, uh, maybe there's probably some constitutional people who listen to this and be cursing as they hear me. There's say always, that. There's always been this, this argument of the big change too when they amalgamated the um, collector with the uh, which are the two organisations they the excise and no excise and, and excise. excise and revenue were both collectors. Ah, okay. um, it's the distinction is that HMRC 
um, is, is the collecting agent and not the setting agent. Treasury sets tax policy. Right, right, right. Um, HMRC has a little bit of sort of element of obviously they have input into that implementation. Was, that was that HMRC. Was Frodo. just <laughs> my Frodo's dog commentary he always on the moans when he hears the word HMRC. <laughs> yeah. I've trained him to Train, do that. Trained him well. That and Brexit. Yeah. Well, you um, bump into the cultural gap, don't you? I mean, one of the problems mm. they had in Greece is people had no culture of paying tax. You know, um, they said it was a sort of you know, yeah. And actually, our culture is they've been clever to do it at source, but yeah. people pay. And I mean, it's just it's a reasonably sophisticated PAYE system. There are other okay. countries with payroll withholdings, but they're more estimated. And so everybody still has to do a tax return at year end, etc. Um, so you've got that aspect, but it means people don't really think about how their tax works versus others. And they don't feel it. And they don't feel it, so it doesn't really come as a pinch because what goes into your page, to your bank account is basically what you've got yeah. to spend. Um, it's a bit like the VAT versus US sales taxes. Yes. Here, what you see on the sticker is what you pay. You go to the US and... And you're you, always a dollar short at the counter, <laughs> yeah. aren't you? It's that moment of going, oh, wait, yes, I forgot sales tax today. It I? is, but so. it, it, it breeds this attitude of every time you buy something and the tax gets added on, <laughs> it makes you curse. Yes. So it brings a different attitude to <laughs> your, towards to your rulers. Yes. Yeah. But it makes you realise there's tax. Sure. Whereas if you just, you know... Well, it, it's, a, it's a very interesting comment because... Yeah, because often you buy something did, with VAT and you blame the, the retail vendor for it being too expensive and yeah. it's the VAT that's made it so you expensive. Don't really Sorry, Andy. No, 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 no. No, because if you made, I mean, in a weird way, the right thing to do is make it easy and take it from source. Don't, yes. You know, it's out of sight, out of mind. Like, yeah. Don't let me know I've got the money because I'll spend it. Even, <laughs> even the good entrepreneurs, you know, they still they still get to the, you know, the yeah. tax year end and they're Gets like, to how much? Of this yes. is bloody ridiculous. And you're like, you earned 200 grand. Where's that gone? And they're like, <laughs> yeah, well, whatever. Yeah, they want 30 grand off me. I can't believe it. It's just unreal. I, and I mean... Well, I, you know, I think this the, the thing that's interesting is because it gets thrust into the public light, this sort of becomes a sort of ethical question. Whereas I would say us as advisors would say, well, these are really complicated rules and they have been developed over hundreds of years. And it may surprise you to learn that this clever idea you've had in a meeting to avoid tax probably has been thought about a hundred times before. <laughs> Astonishingly I, enough. I yes. do always love a client's <laughs> enthusiastic idea halfway through the meeting. Oh, but wait a second. If I get my cousin John or something and you're just like, that's nah, not going to work, mate. Really? That's not yeah. going to work. Someone's thought of that, have they? And it's like, yeah. <laughs> People have spent a lot of time. So, you know, there's been this sort of game going going on for a long time. And so, I mean, within the other, I mean, you you, you deal a lot in the, 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 the more, I guess, the jollier area of tax, <laughs> which is tax credits, you know, and the... the mm, uh, R&D and so on. R&D, yeah. yeah. I mm. guess that's, it's only a jollier area for me, you know, to pass on some <laughs> better news to, to, to someone, to, to break the news that they've got all these costs and the tax rates and everything. And they say, oh, but by the way, I think you've got a hundred grand of, you know, mm. R&D and things like this. Do you, do you... It, do you enjoy that or do you do you find that a sort of uh, a key focus of yours or I do got a lot of work in that area and I find it interesting, not so much from the tax. I'm just fascinated by what people are researching quite yes. often. Oh, really? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. It's really interesting to see what they're developing and what they're coming up with and so on. So in that sense, yes, I, that's that's rather fun. A lot of the, I mean, where I tend to get involved with the R&D um, questions, sometimes it's around 
you know, is there qualifying R&D in the first place? Um, although less on that. It's, it's usually more around um, particular niche bits as to, you know, do does this company qualify as an SME or not? Um, and this areas technical, sort of, technical. Yeah. Because, I mean, people may not realise that despite the tax system, the, the tax system is used as a way of giving out, I would imagine, the most significant UK grant, probably the largest amount of mm. money given out. I would, I, would, I would hazard a guess the yeah. R&D tax credit, which enables you to get 33% cash back from the government 28 days after your tax return if you're losing like money. Like six months at the moment. No, that, yeah, it's slightly improved again. But <laughs> it theory, has gone back into bed, yeah. In theory. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, again, this is an area that's kind of interesting. It's back to how cu- countries make their choices. Uh, in the UK, the choice has been to encourage R&D by the tax system. So either by repayments for loss-making companies so that they've got some benefit if, or some something to bolster their budget with, or by a reduction in tax for those that are profitable. Other countries like um, Finland and Germany in particular, for example, that I know of, tend to do it by way of grant. I mean, we give grants as well. There are government grants for R&D and quite substantial ones. Um, and we're not alone with the tax side. There's something like 84, 85 countries worldwide with that have an R&D, R&D tax relief. Yeah. Um, but all of this ties back to um, studies that have shown, and these are studies that have been done since the Second World War onwards, and that look back to an economy you know, certainly before the start of the 20th century and so on, that there's a very clear correlation between the amount of innovation in an economy and the performance of that economy. And we're back to this international competition that countries want to perform and they want to attract um, activities that will improve the economy, etc. And so innovation is one of those areas that's very closely followed and picked up and encouraged because more innovation tends to mean higher GDP, more jobs, better paying jobs. Mm. It's really close correlation. Which seems to be enough not to be, we know, do, to be causation I mean, and not we, just causation. We like to think of ourselves as a nation of inventors, but I mean, yeah. I, would, I think the common view has always been we're very good at inventing things, but give it to the Germans or the Japanese to sort it out. You know, that's the, so I remember the, there's a famous uh, uh, Le Mans or something when they do the drive around and around in circles for hours, and we invented the turbocharger and turn up <laughs> saying, oh, bloody hell, check this out. But of course, the turbocharger blew up. What happened next year? Well, we were winning everything, but then it blew up and we lost. Next year, the Germans turn up with their turbocharger. And theirs works beautifully, <laughs> of course, and they kill us. And we're like, this is not fair. This is not, you know, we always take that view that, it, you know, but I, you know, we're certainly good, good. We seem to have an, a, an ability to invent, I would say. So, you know, to mm. foster innovation, yep. you know, is that the basis of why Britain's done well? I guess so. Ours would be the more wheel. about trade, wasn't it? We invented that. What? I the said wheel. the wheel. We invented that. Did you? <laughs> I was always surprised to know you the Aboriginals never invented the wheel. Did you know that? I never knew that. Yeah, yeah. That's the one one of them. It's like China never invented glass, which always sounds like a strange sort of statement. You yeah. Know? Uh, and and the Aboriginals never invented the wheel. Oh my gosh. So they must have been like, Oh my god, you see that thing over there? Brilliant. <laughs> wow. I mean, where where do you what's I mean, to be a barrister more generally, I mean, in the world of tax, is it um is it a terribly polite place, or is it? Uh, do you get? Do you, do you ever get angry? Do you kick off a little bit? You know? No, no. no, no we're no. all very polite. We're all very polite. <laughs> yes. It's also, I mean, the British legal system, by and large, is fairly polite. You know, yes. we all see the American side of things, where the American um, 
legal shows where everybody gets very, very excited and very uptight. There's a very different approach to litigation in the US compared to the UK. The UK is basically rather polite. Yeah. And do you have a, do you do the wig? You've got a wig. I actually have a wig and gown. I don't generally have to wear it because you don't wear it in the tax tribunal. Oh, okay. Um, so tax, tax is kind of the cool IT <laughs> trainers. It's, and... it's not so much the cool IT trainers, but the tribunal system generally, and this is not just tax, this is the other tribunals as opposed to courts, um, are designed to be reasonably, well, user-friendly in an environment that's never going to be that friendly because just, you know, if you've got to go to something like a court, no matter how you try and dress it up and tidy it up and things like that, it's always going to be nerve-wracking mm. for people, whether or not they're represented. But the tribunal system um, deals a lot uh, with a lot of cases, I say not just tax, but what? all sorts, where people are representing themselves. So trying to make it as non-awkward as possible. Yeah, okay. Make it. I mean, what would so, be yes. your advice? I mean, I do say to client, the things what I say to client, I, I try and make them understand the concept as of an agent, that tax mm. law is so complicated and they're not supposed to understand it. And if they if they can afford it, they can appoint an agent, normally mm. an accountant or someone to represent them. But yep. then the tribunal's an interesting thing because mm. really, and this is, this is uh, sorry, HMRC, but this is true. HMRC almost always going to take on, a, on the, the view, the, the least positive view from your perspective, and you're almost always, I mean, this is slightly unfair. Probably, Not always. But, um, but I they're mean, quite often going to say something that you don't want to agree with. Maybe that's a... Uh, they, in, inevitably, if you're in tribunal, they've said something you don't agree with. No, but do, but, uh, you don't um, get to tribunal yet. I'm not thinking, I deal with a client and they'll get a letter from the revenue saying, we disagree, you owe all this money. And they don't appreciate, I'm like, this mm. isn't the end of it, but it might cost you money. It's like, you want yeah. to keep arguing, yeah. you go to tribunal. I mean, if you don't agree with them, you've got the right to, well, actually, before you get to tribunal, you should be offered the opportunity to have a review. Oh, yes, of course, an independent an review. And there was some statistic this is now a few years ago, so I don't know the up-to-date. I have enough, it takes me enough of my time to maintain a knowledge of tax law. Keeping up with the general peripheral background yeah, is yeah. sometimes a bit more, um, it takes me more of a backseat. But there was some statistic, and it's sometime in the last 10 years, so um, that 54% of VAT decisions were overturned on review. Uh, primarily wow. on penalties, I think, and so on. And this is an important um, point. So you might get a, re you might say, "Oh, I think this." The revenue say no, and actually, then your first stage is you can call for independent review. And sometimes you've become a bit trenched in with the inspector. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you've said something you maybe you shouldn't have, or he, you've annoyed each other, and there's a sort of like, "Who's going to win the argument?" Where mm -hmm. you can then just say, "Okay, I want someone else to look at this." And I would take mm -hmm. you, I would agree with you, and I've seen them be overturned. Like you think, "Yeah, well, it's just an inside job. They're going to meet meet their mate Bob." and get Bob to sign it off. It's but actually no, not the reality. The, no. There is a fairness to that system. Yeah. And, and actually, one of the reasons I think the, thing is the, the stats were so high is that an awful lot of people are dealing with the inquiries by themselves without an yes. agent, as you say. And sometimes it's the trigger of asking for an independent review that reminds them to put in an additional piece of information that hasn't occurred to them before. Mm. You know, I mean... I, Something I this was um, I do a lot of work with the Low Incomes Tax Reform Group, which is looking at uh, effectively giving a voice to the unrepresented. Mm. It was set up by John Andrews um, as part of as an initiative by the Chartered Institute of Tax about 21, 22 years ago now, and um, one of the sort of things that has come through and so on is that, that people obviously get quite scared talking to the revenue. They don't really think about what they say and what they don't. And some people are shy about disclosing some yes. personal things. Um, and this, actually, to be fair, this, this particular example didn't come via Litrig, it came via a different source. Um, 
a particular individual who had been late with a tax return. Turned out the reason they were late was because they'd had a heart attack and had gone into hospital, but they didn't want to blame it on the health. I was like, no, that's actually a perfectly yeah, good reason for that's not a good reason, you. yeah. You're in hospital um, unexpectedly. You know, this is not something that you should have planned for or anything. Well, that's another one that people um, don't realise is that you, they often set a time limit on you, the revenue. They say, well, we must have an answer by, you know, two weeks later. They must always be reasonable. So you, if you're, if you're busy or whatever, you can always reply you to them and say, more time. look, I'm going to need two months to get this information together. Yeah. They may they may say, well, I'll give you six weeks, whatever. But they have to be reasonable. I mean, my mm. old man always reminds me back in the day that they used to say, they used to write to you as your honourable servant because he likes to wind <laughs> them up saying, welcome to my letters with your honourable servant. Back then, very few people paid tax and yeah. people would roll, you know, they'd have inquiries going back 10 years, writing to some chaps. I'm just so sorry to bother you <laughs> again, Mr. Frisbee. I know you're extremely busy, but you haven't filed your tax return in 10 years. They didn't even have penalties, apparently. <laughs> back then they would just sort of keep writing you hello i hope the holiday was good and you know and it's such a different world i think unfortunately the shift it to me is a little bit too much the other way now they get psychologists in they write these letters that you know people are in tears and you know whatever and you're just sort of a bit like look calm down okay mm. you know you, a you get to take your time B, stop saying stuff. That's a sort of rule number two. You know, people just, you know, I, I, my experience is they'll often try and explain everything. You know, they'll write them an essay about their lives and it's like, like you've just pointed out to him two cars he didn't know you had. You know, the, the, the inspector has to understand. You you, you, you disagree or what do you feel? Um I actually tend to the view if you're telling the truth, you probably shouldn't be clobbered for it. Yeah. I actually think the bigger problem is, is the complete opposite. And this is not people who are represented. It's the ones who just completely ignore everything. Yeah, right. Or, and, and not because they're doing anything dodgy, but just there's a slight... There's still, I think in many people, they're sort of like, it's a brown envelope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to deal with it. I'll shove it in a drawer and worry about it another day and not really think. How the post more... has changed when my dad says, why don't you check your post? I was like, because in my world, it's full of shit news. It's, you know, bills, yeah. tax man. It's like you used to get lovely letters from me at school telling me how happy I was, <laughs> you know, apart from these things. I mean, but would there be any other advice you would give to someone? Um there's a lot of misinformation about who pays what and where and how and, and so on. And that's that's back to the education point that I think people, you know, I think it's something that should be better taught in schools. There about should be some how, why of, you pay tax. Well, where does this money go? Because people don't even realise national insurance, well, none of us really know, is supposed to be for the NHS and no, our pensions. Doesn't. No, just our pensions. The only thing that is, as far as I know, again, I'm a day-to-day jobbing barrister and not dealing with tax policy, but my recollection is the only part of national insurance that is actually hypothecated to the NHS is the 2% that is paid above the, oh, the 2%. threshold. Yeah. But I thought the point with the national insurance, it was supposed to be insurance, and so it shouldn't be spent. It should be... Uh, and there is a fund... Um, but I don't know how much of it is specifically related to national insurance. I think my, okay, at this point I should point out I am not a constitutional specialist, etc. But I think essentially it. it all goes into the same into the general pot, and then there is a separate fund which is taken out of general taxation. Well, you're you're um, illustrating it. You're you're a tax expert. I, I know, suppose, and I still supposedly don't know for sure. I am supposed to know a thing. And 
Neither of us could really tell yeah. you. And I, this uh, what know I know where is the money goes. I know what the tax law. I've yeah. written an entire book about it. I did an Edinburgh show about it. And I, <laughs> I'm still like baffled. Yeah. One of the things I did do in the Edinburgh show is I showed the pie chart mm. of government spending, and you saw that X percent goes on the NHS and X percent goes on education. And I would say to the audience, "We're going to have a vote now." And I, if you are in favour of how tax revenue is allocated. You know, say I, and if you are opposed to how tax revenue is all currently allocated, say I, and it would always be over ninety percent did not agree with how taxes mm. with government how, how, how taxes are allocated. The, you know what the biggest um, outlay is? Can you guess? It's going to be the health service, isn't it? You say the health no. service. You normally get these, Andy. Mm. Um. I'm just trying to remember whether I've actually looked at it recently. I thought defence was still fairly high, but probably actually repaying debt. (laughs) No, no, but both high. But the the, by far and away the biggest is pensions. Mm. It's like 40 to 45 percent goes on pensions. NHS is the next biggest, which, if Mm. I remember right, is about 23 percent, something like that. Education is about 12.5%. The interest on the national debt is about 6%. Okay. And and defense is <laughs> defense, No, defence is even lower. It's like 2 or 3. And mm-hmm. it once used used to be that the purpose of government was, you know, the defence of the realm, the upkeep of law and order, and so on and so forth. And actually, as a, now it's as a proportion of government spending, these these are tiny, and now it's all healthcare, mm. pensions, education, welfare. Um, mm. Those are the big you, outlets. I should which, read which, this sort which of thing. Which were not... Um, traditionally, the responsibilities of government prior to World War One, you know, the church would provide education well, for mm. example. It, let's take, you know, more in your 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 realm <laughs> and international business, considering how to expand or, you mm. know, where, where do they even start looking at Europe or, you know, looking at sort of what they should do? I think the first thing you do is you work out, well, what, you know, OK, you, look, you, you think you want to go. Why do you want to go cross border? Is it because you've got customers? Is it because actually you think there's a business? opportunity because it's an underserved sector in XYZ country. Um, So work out what it is you want to be doing, um, because actually the clearer you are about what your business objectives are, the easier it is to actually... And then say they identify Um, Netherlands, the UK, the classic sort of that they're all considering. Because there aren't Per se, there, there aren't, I mean, maybe there are, but you're not really international. There isn't sort of one person you can go oh, I, to. I would basically look at getting an advisor in each country, but somebody who's experienced with dealing with advisors in other countries so they know that they, and they, can, border, yeah. they can play well together. Yeah, yeah. Because what you actually want is to make sure you know what's going on in country A and what's going on in country B. And then what, how the overlap is dealt with, you know, is there a tax treaty in place? If there is, how does that operate? Um, what are the things that the tax authority is going to be looking out for, etc.? Um, and to the extent that it makes sense to is you make sure that you fall in, you make sure your business falls into line with what is needed for both. Um, but bearing in mind always that you'll make more money by just running the business. Get on with the business. Get on with the business. Make sure you take advice so that you don't foul up the taxes, but get on with running the business. Good stuff. Well, Anne, it's been a real pleasure uh, talking to you and hearing your thoughts. As we close, uh, why don't you just tell listeners how they can get hold of you or find out more about you. I'm on LinkedIn. You can always find me on LinkedIn. Great stuff. Well, uh, we shall look you up. Do you want to close the show, Andy, or shall I close the show? Thank you, Anne, for, for coming. This is, uh, I actually really want to get 
far too technical in the discussion, but I think it's been an excellent light, light uh, overview of taxation. Uh, the subject that never stops giving. And <laughs> Andy, thank you very much, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you. And make sure you subscribe to the show so you can join Andy Uri and me, Dominic Frisbee, for the next episode of Business Without B****.